Uh, it's so good to be with you here this morning. You know, watching the video there, oh my goodness, I don't know about you, but every time I watch the, the Pioneer Bible Translator videos, it just stirs within me. And, and, and the songs that we, we, we were worshiping this morning, uh, let's give a hand to our worship team, my goodness. I, I sent the title of my message, The Battle of Two Kingdoms, and they took that, and the songs that they chose, so powerful, that the battle is won, that God reigns, and that he, he alone is God, and that we are to give our lives to him. Boy, it just fits right in with the message that I have this morning. Um, and just as I think about the people I work with over in Papua New Guinea, whenever I work with them in a translation session, I always start and end our translation sessions uh, with prayer. And I'll use a little bit of Tokpisin, which is the trade language of Papua New Guinea. But when I pray with them, and they often say the same kinds of prayers, they say, when we're praying, we say, God, Papa, you, yet you, God. God, Papa, you, yet you, God. Which says that God, you, only you, just you are God. Which is very powerful for them over there because they come from an animistic background where they're worshiping all kinds of spirits in the forest and in the jungle, the rivers and the mountains and all that. So when they pray, God, you, yet you, God, you alone are God, it has real power for them over there. I love to work with the Akukum people. That's the translation group that I'm working with, uh, translating scriptures into the Akukum language. Uh, I wish I could be there with them now, but as you know, we've all had uh, kind of a, a three-year hiccup so that some things that we would normally do, we have not been doing. And it's, it's kind of been a battle, hasn't it, these last few years? And even when I was there, when, when uh, the pandemic started, I was working with the Akukum translation team and suddenly we're hearing this, this whatever's happening over in Europe now is spreading around the globe and, and, air, and, and countries are closing down, airports are closing down. Suddenly we had to get all of our nationals out to, the, to their villages. So I worked with the Akukum men and, and the one woman, I said, let's get back to the village. And so I worked with them over three days to get them out of town back to their village and that's quite a journey for them to get out of town back to their villages. So that was a big step, a big hurdle. By the time we finally got them on their way, I went to the, uh, the check-in counter at the airline to rebook my ticket to leave Papua New Guinea. And they said, I'm sorry, the last plane left yesterday. And so there I was in March of 2020, uh, planning to come home to Jill and the family, and it was two months before I could leave the country safely. Uh, so many airports and countries were closing down. It was a battle. It was a real battle to get out of the country and then come home and face the battle of isolation, separation, and restrictions, and just life is so difficult. And I know that you know all that. I'm sure many of you have your own stories of what's happened over the last couple of years. And now this year, 2022, we feel like, great, things are starting to loosen, lighten up, and now we're living with COVID. We know that we're going to be probably okay, even if we catch it now. So things are looking better. Life is looking up. These battles seem to be settling down. And then what happens? All of a sudden, a war breaks out in Europe. I couldn't believe that. I was down in Dallas at the time working on other aspects of the translation work 
on February 24th. I will never forget that date. That's kind of in, embedded in my mind now. February 24th, I'm working on my translation, and I kind of paused, and I thought, well, let's just kind of flip the website channel. I'm flipping around. I don't know why, but I, I ended up on CNN, you know, the channel, the, con the uh, constant negative news. I just thought, well, I'll just take a peek this time. So I looked at the CNN, and then just as I was watching a reporter from Kiev reporting about the tensions that are happening over there, the first artillery shell landed about a mile behind that reporter. And I'm watching it live thinking, this can't be happening. A war in Europe? I thought we'd been done with that last century. But now we have another war in this century. And that's another example of how people we just can't seem to get along in this world. There's always battles between people, but right now there's battles between countries. Well, battles, they happen on all, all levels. They can be countries against countries, cities against cities, communities against communities. Over in PNG, it's villages against villages. And uh, we've had a few situations, uh, I won't go into all the details, but there was one time for sure where, two times I can remember, where tension between the two villages was rising, and I was told by the nationals, uh, you better kind of stay in your house because there may be spears going by. <laughs> so it's like there's real tension and challenge and battle happening, and it happens everywhere. It happens everywhere uh, in, in our world. Well, this is, unfortunately... Nothing new. So even though I flipped over to the news channel and thought, wow, this can't be happening, yet how many times, every few years, every few decades, every century, there's people fighting people. This is, this is in our modern day, it's different. But conflict among mankind, that's been going on for centuries. If you go back in, in history, you look at, at, it wasn't so much countries, although they kind of had some sense of countries, it was more empires. Empires and kingdoms that battled. So you, you've got, in, in ancient times, you've got the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the, the Roman empires, the Goths, the Goths, the Vikings, the Spanish conquests. Every century, there's some form of battle going on. Now, we need to remember, like the song said, the battle belongs to the Lord, the battle's won. We can be sure that God is still on the throne and our battle for eternity is one for us who believe in Jesus. But there's so many that don't yet know Jesus. So there's a different battle. There's battles that are physical here in this world where we have the spears and the guns and the fighting and the battle and the deaths, but there is a different battle also happening in this world. There is a spiritual battle, and it's the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan. It's the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness. So from the beginning of time, as man fell into sin, and from that point, even up till today, men have been fighting men, mankind fighting mankind, but God has not abdicated the throne. He's still on the throne. He still will ultimately win that battle. And again, another prayer that we talk with the men, we say, God, you yet you God. Now you work them all get us something. You work them heaven, the sky, the ground, all get us something. And, and we, are, we are confessing that, God, you are the creator. 
You are the Lord. You're the king. You're the one that's ruling. And, and so even as we get ready for translation, we pray that prayer almost every time, recognizing God who is the ultimate king. Well, this idea of kingdoms being at war and battles of kingdoms, again, as I say, is this is nothing new. And in the, in the days of Jesus, they too were also in, in that, that whole atmosphere of kingdoms fighting kingdoms. You had the, the Roman Empire and all the other countries there ruling. In the time of Jesus, the Roman Empire controlled the Middle Eastern countries and the Jews were living underneath that authority of the, the, the power and the authoritarian power of Rome. It came to a head in the life and ministry of Jesus when the, the Pharisees, Sadducees, they're, they're very jealous of, of the uh, success and the attention that Jesus is getting. Plus, he's, he's not abiding by the rules. You know, you've got you to stay within the rules. That's what the, the synagogue or their church was saying. So, well, we've got to be careful about rules within the church. No, there's freedom. There's freedom in the church. And so in that time, the, the Sadducees, Pharisees, he's not abiding by the rules and we've got to stop him. So they arrest him and they bring him before Herod, but then they bring him to Pilate, who is the Roman governor. And they gave this charge of saying that he is uh, against Caesar, the king of Rome. And Pilate asked that question. He says to Jesus, is this true? Are you a king? And if he was to say, yes, he, I am a king, then that was like a threat against the Roman Empire. And so you can see where that's going in his life. But he does, in, a, in kind of a unique way, he says, it is as you say. I think that kind of confounded Pilate for a minute. Like, what was that? He said, yes. And he was saying, I am a king. But he followed it up by saying, my kingdom is not of this world. That's a powerful statement. Very powerful statement. Even as much as we get troubled when we turn on CNN or other channels and we look at the daily news and we see all the things that are happening so negatively around the world, those battles are just on the physical level. And Jesus is, is fighting at a different level, on the spiritual level. It is, it's for the hearts and the minds of all mankind. That is what Jesus is fighting for. That Jesus would be king and lord of each and every one of the people of this world. And God in his mercy is holding back that final day of judgment until all who would call in the name of Jesus are brought in and then the end of time will come. And the true king will be on the throne in this world. That will be Jesus Christ. So Jesus, yes, he was a king, but his kingdom was a spiritual kingdom. It was meant to be reaching into the hearts and the lives of people. Now, God's ultimate plan, as was mentioned in the Old Testament through Ezekiel, was that God would give a new heart and a new spirit in, in us, in you, he says. And God says, I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's another way of talking about this spiritual battle. It is on the, the battle that is the true battle that we need to be focusing on and be aware of is the, for the battle for the hearts of people. Well, as a translator, I've been introduced, and we are Bible translation, uh, Jill and I working with Pioneer Bible Translators. As I work with the scriptures and try to get God's word into their language, I keep coming against uh, keep coming up uh, passages that deal with kingdom and, and, and kingdom values, kingdom concepts, they're hard to translate. 
As you try to do translation from one language to another language, and I've seen there's so many of you in this congregation from multiple backgrounds and probably many language backgrounds, you can probably appreciate learning English. There's just not a word of your language that's in English. And the same thing is, is, is the other way. You want to say English into another language, it just isn't a one-to-one relationship. So as I do translation work, and as I come across these terms about God, Jesus being king, and he, he talks about the kingdom of God, how do we translate that? And that's been a bit of a struggle in a few languages, and instead of just a word-by-word translation, we found it ended up being like a long, long phrase to describe the concept. For the Akukum people... We came up with this phrase. It was God kabisagar ateva mirktuk. And that means the time when God would rule all things. I think that's a good descriptive uh, statement about the kingdom of God. That God will rule all things. In the Nen language that we worked in originally back in the 90s, um, their phrase talked, uh, if I literally translate it backwards, it is the time when men and women would exist underneath God's authority. Now, translate that into their language. It was a, it was a phrase about this long, about a, a sentence and a half on the page, but it spoke to the people. That spoke to their hearts. They, wanted, they were interested as we did the translation. Oh, there's going to be a time when we exist under God's authority I want that. And then they knew that they needed that. So translating some of these key terms like kingdom of God can be a real challenge, but truth of God can be made available to all language groups. That's what I find exciting in translation work is that God's word can be made available to every language group in the world. The challenge is there's still many that don't have that translation in their language. So that's the, that's the job we do. Uh, the Akukum people, they have two books so far published, and we're working on many more books in the New Testament and some of the Old Testament. Um, when we worked with the Nen people, they didn't even have an alphabet published. So you can imagine trying to translate for the people when it's like, what sounds do you use in your language? <laughs> And that's the process. We had to start from scratch and listen to their, their, their speech and write down phonetically what they're saying. And the first thing that we published in 1998, one piece of paper, after I'd worked with the committee and the elders and some of the new translators were getting gathered together, we had a workshop, and at the end of the workshop, I printed one piece of paper, their official alphabet. <laughs> it's challenging work. But it's exciting to see that when we got their letters and got their sounds and got their words and learning their language and then translating from the Greek and Hebrew into their language, you see them come alive as they listen to God's word in their language. Now, as I've done work uh, for God, for translation ministry purposes around the world over the years, uh, it is very challenging and exciting, uh, all, the, all the things that we do overseas. We don't, and we're not overseas all the time now. Half the reason for me being based in Canada is for my health, and, and some of you know the health challenges that I've had in the past. You might remember that I used to use poles and crutches and even a, a walker, and I want, to say, I want to stop right now and say thank you to all of you in this Halifax Christian Church. You were one of four churches in 2012 that prayed for my health. And within a few months after that, 
my walker was hung up, and then my crutches were hung up. That's the power of God through you into my life, and I just cannot say thank you enough to God and to all of you. So I've been able to continue doing this ministry for another decade, and I hope another decade to go yet. But I will tell you, there are those down days where life is tough, life is a battle, there's battles in the world, and things can just get us down, and some days I just think, you know, God, you know, I'm not in Papua New Guinea, sometimes I'm in Calgary, sometimes I'm in, I'm in Dallas, and I'm just thinking, God, what am I doing? <laughs> am I making a difference while I study these Greek sentences and English and Akukum and I've got a computer with five languages going at the same time and I'm trying to keep them straight in my head and I get tired and I get, you know, it's a down day. And then I think, am I making a difference? Am, can I, what can I do? I say, what, God, what can I do to make a difference for your kingdom? But you know, even as I say that sentence, I knew that was the wrong way to pray to God. It's not so much, God, what can I do for you? I've learned over the years to ask and pray this, God, what can you use me for? How can you work in me for you to do the work? I'm just the vessel. We are just the vessels. All of us are the vessels for God to be used by God. So we shouldn't be asking the question, God, what can I do because in our strength, we don't have strength. And I know that daily. I don't have a lot of daily strength. I pray every morning for strength. God gives me the strength and I thank him for it. So really, we should be saying, God, what can you do in my life to impact the world? That's a much better prayer. And as I thought that sentence, that statement, God, how can you use your people? And what people will you want to use and I was looking in Scripture, and I found interestingly that the people that God uses so often are what I call the most unlikely people. <laughs> and that includes you and me, all, all of us, right? So you don't have to worry about whether God can and will use you. He can and he will use you if you're open to being used by God. But I looked into the Scriptures where people like Joseph, he was just a teenager, when he got the visions of being the savior to the world and to Egypt and his family. Moses was the youngest. You might not remember that. Miriam and Aaron were the older children. God chose the youngest child of that family to save um, the, the people of Israel. Same thing with David. Consider at the moment where they need a good king for Israel. Um, King Saul just was not turning out very well and Samuel is praying to God saying, we need a new king. And he says, go to the house of Jesse. My man, the next king is in the house of Jesse. So Samuel comes with his entourage and they all sit down and they have the big feast and, and he's looking at all these big strapping young, uh, young men, not boys, but men of the sons of, of Jesse and he says, God, is it the firstborn? Huge man, strong arms, tall built. He's ready for battle. And God says, no, that's not the man. Well, what about the second brother? Oh, he's a good looking, fine young looking man. But no, he's not the man that God wants. And, and Samuel goes down the line, down the line, down the line to the, all the brothers. 
And God says, no, 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 no. I'm not going to use that one or that one or that brother or that brother. And finally, Samuel says to Jesse, is there nobody else? And Jesse says, oh, well, yeah. Here's our little boy, David, out with the sheep. Well, bring him in. And when David comes in, God reveals to Samuel, that is the man I will choose to be my king. The most unlikely person was chosen by God at that point. And God does that, not only with men, but also, also with women. I mean, women are important, right? Right? Yes, yes they are. <laughs> Good, you kind of had a pause there, didn't you? Yes, women are important too. <laughs> and you look in the Old Testament, the women that God chooses to use. Rahab, the prostitute. Yet she had faith when she realized God was doing awesome and mighty miracles in the children of Israel about to cross over the Jordan River and take the land, by faith she believed You're, they're going to conquer the city of Jericho and I need to be on God's side. And she chose to hide the spies at, at pain of death. If they'd found out, they would have killed her. But she hid them. The spies went back. The Joshua and the Israelites came in, conquered the land, and Rahab was saved by her faith. How about Ruth, a Moabite woman? So not only is she a woman in a male-dominated society back then, but she's a foreign woman. She's not even of Israelite background. She is brought back with Naomi, and as they come along, uh, we have Ruth taking a change of heart as she accepts the God that Naomi worships, and she says, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. So she claimed by faith the God of the Israelites and God used her. She became the great grandmother of King David, the greatest king of, all the, king of Israel. There's so many other examples. You jump to the New Testament, all of the, the women there, many of them seem to have the name Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was an unwed teenager. Mary, the sister to Lazarus, sitting at the, seat, at the feet of Jesus, listening. While, while Martha's running around being busy with all the housework and the meal preparation and getting up so upset that Mary's not doing anything, and Jesus says, she's doing the best thing. She's listening to the words of Jesus. Mary Mar Magdalene was a woman that had been possessed by seven evil spirits that, that Jesus had cast out. Her place in history is that she not only became a follower of Jesus, but she was the first person, the first woman, the first person to, to witness the resurrection of Jesus. So God chooses whomever he wants. And it seems to me almost like the most unlikely people, but we'll see that some of the reasons for being chosen, it's not their, their fame, their wealth, their riches, their material goods. It's, no, it's their hearts. That's where the spiritual battle in the world really is at, is at the heart level. The faith and the knowledge, the beliefs for people, do they know God and Jesus Christ, his son? So God had picked, he had chosen certain people throughout scripture, and I love how they're described by God in scripture. You have Seth and Enosh, that's right after Abel, you've got Adam, Eve, and Cain and Abel, and then the third son that we, we forget his name, but he's part of the godly line in, in, in the book of Genesis. 
It says of Seth and Enosh, it was at that point people began to call again on the name of the Lord. Noah was said to be, a, he was considered a righteous man. Abraham believed God and was called righteous. Joseph was faithful in all he did. David was a man after God's own heart. Ruth pro proclaimed, your God is my God. Elisha prays and the eyes of the servant are opened to see the armies of God, the spiritual battle that won the victories against all those marauding uh, armies from the east. It was the angels of God. By faith they could see that God was on their side. Anna and Simeon, old in their age, probably in the 70s or 80s, waiting all their lives, but they had a promise early in their life that they would see the kingdom of God and they saw baby Jesus before they died and they knew the kingdom of God had come to earth. And then the disciples, think about um, Andrew for a minute. I know many of us know all the names of the disciples. That's probably one of the things in Sunday school you probably taught all the names of the 12 apostles and we think about, the, you know, the Peter did all these things and John did these things and we know Judas and, you know, we know about Thomas. Andrew, Andrew. Well, yes, he's one of the 12 apostles, one of the 12 disciples. I don't remember scripture saying much about Andrew. Uh, do you remember much about Andrew? One thing, one thing stands out in scripture. He met Jesus, and what did he do? He went and found his brother, Peter. And he says to Peter, we found the Messiah. Come, meet the Messiah. And Andrew introduces Peter to Jesus. Now, can you just kind of imagine for a minute, I mean, this is you know, in the realm of imagination, but what would have happened if Andrew had not brought Peter to Jesus? What would have happened to the church history? in the first century. So God used that quiet brother that we don't know much about to go get his extroverted brother to Jesus and then the church explodes. So God can use anyone if they're willing to be used by God. Poor Thomas, we call him Thomas the Doubter. But did you know that he after the resurrection, preached the gospel all the way to the far ends of India, where he probably, we think, was, uh, sacri he was martyred in India, but he's also venerated. Even today, there are still churches that are dedicated to St. Thomas in India. So God used those unlikely disciples to change the world. And, and why... Were they able to do that? Because they were righteous. They did what was right in, in the sight of God. They called on the name of the Lord. They worshiped the God as the almighty God. They were faithful in all that God had asked of them to do. They believed in God and trusted their lives to God. They looked for the kingdom of God. They brought others to Jesus and proclaimed the gospel wherever they went. They gave their money to God. Think about the, the widow that gave, the, you know, the two penny coins, the two coppers. Jesus says she gave all that she had and she will be blessed. So it wasn't the rich people that Jesus was, was watching. He was watching that poor widow putting her last two coins into the offering plate and said that woman will be blessed. So it, it's us giving 
anything and maybe everything, whatever we have to God, and making ourselves available, making our hearts, our lives, our talents, our gifts, our resources, we give that to God and he can use that for the kingdom of God. You know, it sounds simple to say, become a follower of Jesus and do whatever he says. And what's that, what's that look like? You know, some of us, you know, maybe you're bankers, and maybe you're store owners, or maybe you're an entrepreneur. Maybe you work at home on an online uh, work and you're not among a lot of people. Yet, if your life, your heart is straight with God, he can use you where you are at. Follow the teachings of Scripture uh, of Jesus and of the Apostle Paul as they write, here's what you do. Show kindness to others. Like, even love, your enemies. Be generous, be compassionate, develop the fruit of the Spirit. Nurture the light of Christ. Be the light on the, on the, on the hillside, on the hilltop. I know that you do these things and you do so much more. I'm... I'm I'm thrilled to be here because I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of this church. You have a, such a good, strong, long history of impact in the kingdom, not only here in Halifax and in Nova Scotia, but especially in the area of missions. I know that you have done great things over the years that you've supported missionaries, ourselves included in, in the, the finance support and prayer support. You know, the things that, Heather, you do with your prayer team, uh, I don't know another church that has done what your prayer ministry has done in this congregation for missionaries. So I am, th- I am so happy that we're a part of your congregation and, and you have become part of our lives. Well, your church has stood with us and, and part of my message at this moment, I'll just pause to say thank you to your church for what you've done in, in your prayers and your finances. And as a way to sort of say thank you back to you, or actually maybe ask, answer the question, so what does Norm do? <laughs> I know he goes over to Papua New Guinea, but now he's kind of half-time in Calgary and Dallas, and well, what's he do? I do what's called consultant checking work. God's given me the experience and the training and the knowledge that I can work with any language group if they've given me their materials in computer form, I can look into their translation and ask questions as a consultant to check if their translation is natural, accurate, and clear to the original Greek New Testament or Hebrew Old Testament. Over the years, God has used me and and Jill together with me to help see that scriptures are being printed in the languages of the people of Papua New Guinea. And, And Jill, if you can just come up here for a minute, we'll do this together. I would like to take a minute as, as a way to say thank you to your congregation and to let you know what your investment of prayer and finances has done in the area of the kingdom of God in this world. Let me do this for you. I have a stack of some uh, Gospels or of New Testaments that I and Jill, who's helped support through data entry and just support work uh, behind the scenes for what we need in translation work, God has used us to see that these translations have been made available to these different language groups. So in 2002, when Jill and I were working among the Nand and Gawa speakers, we were able to uh, print the, uh, first the alphabet and then learn the language enough to do the translation of the Gospel of Mark in 2002, the Gospel of Mark in the Nand language. In 2004... 
I, didn't, I wasn't a consultant for the Aramu New Testament, but Jill helped to do data entry to get, uh, they would do the translation and send the, the scripts over to Jill, and she put, I don't know how many different books, where she did data entry into the, the uh, computer so they could bring it forward in print form and check it, and this was dedicated and published in 2004. They are actually, this coming week, on August the 4th, and this is exciting, on August the 4th, not just the Aramu New Testament, the Aramu Complete Bible is being dedicated this Thursday. <laughs> it's, uh, wow, it's taken, uh, it's taken uh, almost 40 years, 30, about 38 years for that Bible. And God gave me the, the privilege to be one of the Old Testament consultants. I think I checked a third of their Old Testament for the Aramu Bible. In 2013, the Thai New Testament was uh, printed and dedicated, and this was the year that I became the language director for uh, our Papua New Guinea branch. I was the language director for six years, and I said, we need to finish what we started. So we just really put all the priorities on finishing, and this was the Thai New Testament uh, published in 2013. I consultant checked probably about five or six of those uh, New Testament books. In 2017, I was able to go to the Moom language uh, uh, people to the village of Katiati, and I helped them over the months previous and after to get the Gospel of Matthew published for the Moom people. In 2017 also, uh, some of you may have seen this or heard of this, this is a Brainacom New Testament, and it's printed on waterproof paper because they live in a swampy river territory that floods their village every few months, rains about 250 inches a year over there. So we, we, we decided to put it on waterproof paper. You could each actually fall into the river and pick it back up, and you can still read it. It's still fine. It's a wonderful thing that they got. I was able to be, again, the final consultant to finish the last year of their checking before publication. And then 2019, the most recent New Testament in the Warren uh, New Testament dedicated, and I was again a consultant on probably about a quarter of the New Testament books. So if you're ever asking, you know, what does Norm do in Calgary and Dallas as I sit there with my computer and I'm looking at all these languages verse by verse, sentence by sentence, and word by word, it's so that I can be ready to work with language groups to do the final checks to get God's words printed in their language. And now they have God's word in their languages. And I, I'm here to say, you have been a part of this because you have partnered with us for almost 26 years, I think, as prayer partners and financial partners. You've stood with us to help make this happen. And so those New Testaments are part of the legacy now of your congregation. And I say thank you to all of you. In summary here, the challenge... This is what I want to leave with you. You, me, all of us, we do not need to be special people to be used by God. What we do need is to have a strong, growing relationship with the Lord. We need to be willing to give anything to help build the kingdom of God. As the prayer says, thy kingdom come, 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. We're all to be in the kingdom building process here on earth. We need to realize there is a war going on in this world, a more important war that we need to be involved in, that's the spiritual war of the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan and darkness. We need to stand up for what is right and for God. And if we're willing to do that, to give ourselves, give anything and everything we have, our time, our talent, uh, just our lives to God, if we can say yes to God, to all of that, then you can be sure that God, in fact, will use you to help usher in the kingdom of God.